What's up? What's up? This is Zach Boschman checking in. You're watching the Citizen Truth podcast, and we are honored today to have Raid, the outreach coordinator from We Are Not Numbers, based in Gaza here on the podcast. Raid, let's get right into it. What does this ceasefire mean for the people of Gaza and the people throughout Palestine? Okay, hi. Uh, first, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure. And thank you so much for amplifying Palestinian voices, especially from Gaza. Um, ceasefire. Wow, that's a word that we've been waiting for, like for days, but those days felt like years. Um, obviously, ceasefire means no people, like no more people are going to be killed. No more people are going to be injured. No people, like no more people are going to be evicted. No more people are going to be frightened. No more buildings are going to be bombed, you know. Like, it's supposed to mean that there are going to be less of the Israeli warplanes and drones in our skies, but unfortunately, that's not the case. They're still in our sky, like, even till now, as I'm talking to you. Um, the, the word ceasefire um, brought, like, happiness to us, to our hearts. Uh, I feel like, like, even though this attack on Gaza lasted for 10 days, but those 10 days, 11 days, I mean, those 11 days felt like 11 years. Uh, I was working so hard, and I know a lot of people were, were, were going through a lot, you know, especially psychologically. And a lot of people actually admitted it. This is the first attack on Gaza that, or in, in which they feel so scared for their lives, you know, especially that targets were random and targets were towards uh, civilians, innocent civilians, and we're talking about apartments and homes and all of that. So a lot of people felt like, wow, like we survived, you know, this is just another attack and we survived it. Um, even though a lot of people are really heartbroken because they lost their beloved ones, a lot of people died or actually got killed to be more specific, but still. And as for the rest of Palestine, yeah, of course, like during this attack on Gaza, everyone saw how fierce this attack was. And uh, we, the people in Gaza, we documented everything in photos and videos. And we, saw, we used social media and we used hashtags. And uh, we've got all this kind of like documentation for not only our people in Palestine, but for the entire world to see. So when you think about, oh my God, all of that is gonna stop now, you know, that's gonna make you happy, you know, even for you, like as a human being, you know, other people are not going to be killed at this point. So, yeah, that's going to make me really, really happy. So, yeah, this is what ceasefire. It felt like eight. You know, I, I could talk about this for a bit because this attack on Gaza started uh, at the end of Ramadan. And then we had eight. We had eight under attack. And unfortunately, this is the second read that I personally witnessed uh, when we say Eid Shaheed. It means like Eid is a murder, like Eid is being killed. And um, after the ceasefire, our mosques here were playing these sounds. In Islam, we call them takbirs, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, Allahu Akbar, you know, it's a takbir. And when people hear that, they feel cheerful, you know. So a lot of people actually were celebrating Eid. Uh, uh, when the 11 war attack, 11 day attack on Gaza ended. So it felt like Eid, it felt uh, joyful, it felt, yeah, it felt great that this is gonna end, you know. I'm so, so glad that the, the bombs have uh, stopped dropping. Um, 
I watched you on a live with with Loki a couple days ago, and uh, you know we heard some bombs drop in the background. Um, <clears throat> so just you know, for for the people here in America and stuff that are listening, what is it like? Uh, you know, when when you're being attacked and living in Gaza, you know, not knowing you know, where that next bomb might drop. Just, you know, take us into your experience a little bit the last uh, couple of weeks, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. So basically, um, again, this is not our first war. This is not our first attack, uh, unfortunately. So we get some experience from the previous attacks on Gaza. Um, I remember my first uh, attack on Gaza, it was in 2008. I was in elementary school. I was in the sixth grade. And I was at school. I was about to have a final exam. And then out of nowhere, that was the first time in my life that I heard those huge bombardments. You know, warplanes are just attacking our city. And I remember how we all freaked out. You know, we were like so young. And the teachers didn't know what to do. The headmaster didn't know what to do. So that was like our first experience. And uh, you just hear those explosions you know and you don't know what's going on you don't know where to go you don't know where you're supposed to be and it's very important to let the people who are listening to this podcast know that Gaza doesn't have any kind of shelters you know like we don't uh even though we always get attacked like it's like a thing here you know like every year we gotta get attacked at least once you know so from time to time, we have a round. From time to time, we have a battle. From time to time, we have war. And um, when you hear those explosions, of course, like, your heart's going to be, like, like you, you're going to get some heartache, you know, like, heartache, it's, uh, it's going to hurt you. Your heart's going to be beating like crazy. And your mind's going to freeze for a moment because you're trying to understand what is happening. Um, later on, like, when after we've been having those other attacks on Gaza, we started to have experience. So right now for me, I'm 23, okay? Uh, whenever I hear the bombardments, I do feel scared, you know, I feel terrified, but uh, year after year, I don't feel terrified for myself. I start to feel terrified for my people, like for my younger siblings, you know? I have a young sister who usually would be knocking on my door during this war, like every day, whenever they bomb us, you know, she's like, 10 or 11 years old um like i feel like i'm more mature now so i always think about like oh my god what if they bomb us you know like what if they bomb our apartment you know because that happened a lot and a lot of people got killed and a lot of people lost their homes and whenever i think about it i'm like like i can't even think about that so i remember um during this war um a lot of people asked me like what is the difference between this attack on gods and the previous attacks mm -hmm. and i think during this attack not only were they uh attacking civilians you know like that means to be like bombing apartments like buildings in neighborhoods and by the way when i was live with loki um they bombed a place in my neighborhood the voice of the explosion, like the sound, it was so loud. Yeah. And people heard it live, even though I'm using this headphone right here, this microphone has some cancellation. So usually whenever there's like like, pound, uh, like performance nearby, people don't always hear that, but that was so close. 
it hit so hard. And a lot of people freaked out. They were like, oh my God, you're right. Like I freaked out while I'm like live with you. Like I can't imagine how you felt when you were like there. So yeah, that was like super, super close. You know, it was in my neighborhood. And I remember like, yeah, as you saw when I was going live, I had to get up. The first thing I, I do is I would check like how far is that? Like, I knew it was so close, but I need to understand the situation because sometimes, or actually most of the time we don't get warned. You know, there, there's no warning. These strikes come out of nowhere. And that's how uh, over 230 Palestinians were killed during this attack on Gaza. So yeah, I, I had to open the window, I had to check in. There was smoke. Unfortunately, I couldn't take that on camera because it was night. And of course we had no power. That must have made it that much more horrifying having it come in at nighttime where you can't really necessarily see where it's landing, right? Exactly, yeah. But you need to know that this is the case almost 24-7, you know? Like in war, when we get power, we get power for three to four hours, four hours a day, maximum, maximum, you know? So we're used to the fact that we don't have power most of the time. So like whenever we have power, uh, we, we try to, for instance, charge our devices, charge our power banks and all that. But yeah, uh, when it is really dark and, you know, when they bomb us and like the, the, the sky turns uh, blue and uh, not blue, I mean, yellow or red, you know, because of the explosions and uh, it, it feels like, you know, how it's like in winter and the, the sky could brighten up while it's raining. It's exactly like that. It is raining performance on us and you would be looking at the sky red and yellow. And uh, that, that's really scary. Um, so this is really uh, sad. Yeah, this is really sad for me to talk about this. But at the same time, I think, as I told you, like from experience, we started to get used to it. And not only that, but we're starting to use tricks. You know, especially to deal with children who get frightened the most. Like, we would tell them, like, hey, look at this. This is fireworks. You know, like, hey, look how beautiful this is. Even though we know, like, this strike is going down there to kill a Palestinian. But still, there is nothing we can do about that. It's going down either way. So we try to get the young people here to think, like, this is not a very bad thing. This is just some lights, like Christmas lights in the sky, you know. Um, so for you to be living under attack, um, you have to like get used to the fact that you could be bombed at any moment. This is something that you have to accept. Just like you accept the fact that one day you're going to be done, like you're going to be killed or not killed, you're going to be dead. Uh, this is something here. And uh, you have to train your heart. This is what a person would do. Like I would be literally working on my laptop. Okay. And I would be like, like turn my heart that if you hear any bombardments, don't freak out because it's war, you know, it's war on us. And um, it, it, there is a side that uh, I always mention whenever I talk to people about this, is that the fact that when we are asleep, like at night, we don't sleep actually, like we'll be laying and uh, the entire Gaza Strip would be up all night because it would be super, super bad if you are asleep and a bombardment takes place near you. Uh, at the beginning of the war or the attack, um, the Israel planes would be bombing us really late. Our uh, first, it started in Ramadan. Uh, we, they would be bombing us whenever family gathers together on one meal, which is iftar, you know, when we together to break our fasting. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would 
like promised by then or at like 4 a.m. when we have another meal, suhoor, when people gather so that they would eat together and to start fasting. But then there was Eid, and then after Eid, there would be like bombing us uh, first at midnight. So people started to stay up all night long. They'd be bombing us at 12, 1 to 3 a.m. And that's when we'd be awake. That's like they would be bombing us all day long, but that's when they bomb us like intensively. So we start to say a blade and then they were like, oh, okay, so you are up. Okay, we're going to wait for you to go to sleep and then we're going to be bombing you guys. So they start to bomb us at like four, five, six. After we've been up all night long and we're so tired, that's when we want, want to sleep. So yeah, uh, and there is like, there is one day that I will never forget. Um, it, I slept at 5 a.m. And of course, I've been working all day long and all night I'm just up checking the news. And at 6.30 a.m., something like that, they brought these like newborn planes. They're called like the F-36. And they bombed the entire Gaza Strip all at once. So like the entire Gaza Strip had to wake up and they sent us these explosions. They were like, higher than ever you know like they're scarier than ever and they were like closer than ever i read about those and i, I read something on the news that says like they would be targeting us like they wouldn't be like between our sky targeting us like they would be like over the west bank they'd be like targeting us from there and their rockets that would be like super super fast and they when they hit gaza they would make like these insane explosions I got up, and to be honest, I was super, super scared. I tried to understand what is happening. I've just slept for like an hour or an hour and a half. Um, I, I just kept explosions, and my door was just smacking the wall. And if you like the doors of my closet, they were like just, you know, moving. Of course, wow, we keep from, the, uh, from the explosions, they were moving themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever we have explosions, like I live in a building, I live on the fourth floor, so like the bed would be shaken, you know, and it, I would be like sitting on my bed and I would be my, I would feel my bed. It's like shaking, it's moving or on a chair or on a couch or whatever, you know, like I can feel that. So, uh, but I, I'm talking specifically about the day because like it was a brand new experience for me, you know, even though I always say I'm experienced when it comes to wars. So I tried to get up, I, I grabbed my phone because this is what we do. We try and document what is happening, but these explosions were too strong to the fact that actually I couldn't even record a video or do anything. I couldn't get anywhere near the windows because it felt like uh, like something is gonna hit me. Something is gonna just be just running towards me and it felt super, super dangerous. Um, that lasted for like 10 to 15 minutes continuously, like nonstop. And then after that, of course, I couldn't go back to sleep. My heart was being like crazy. And I was watching videos online and a lot of people were talking about like how the entire Gaza Strip, like they were all the Gaza from, from the south to the north, all of it, all at once. So I felt like that was uh, a movement from them just to hit Gaza strong head. And what's crazy is that, as I told you, it was 6.30 a.m. and the sun was rising, you know, and usually when the sun rises here, the view is so beautiful. But then the, the, the sky was full of smoke. I'm thinking about black smoke. 
you know? So it didn't feel like it was 6.30 a.m. It felt like it was winter. It felt like the sky is full of clouds, dark clouds. But that wasn't clouds. That was smoke. And, uh, of course, uh, from time to time, the bomb was, like, super, super hard. Uh, to be honest, I live in the south. You know, suddenly Gaza Strip, and uh, they haven't bombed us as much as they were bombing uh, in the north because in northern the Gaza Strip and in Gaza City, uh, those places get bombed like crazy, like crazy, like non stop. They would be bombing them for hours non stop. Uh, I, I, I've got so many friends who live there. Uh, I was working social media and I was working in outreach, and uh, people like like imagine like how are you supposed to be working there like I'm, I'm talking about my team and they're like under those like continuous non-stop attacks and uh, they would be sending me like voice notes and i'm like yeah this happened here i think only once in in my city you know like the continuous thing but there i don't know like i think that was like some new strategy from this free occupation and their army like i don't get it but they they were claiming that they're like trying to attack like some tunnels and whatsoever but all of us know like it, it's not like that like i think um just because they don't have a clear objective they don't have a clear aim for attack on gaza so they were like basically trying so many things. Like they were targeting buildings in Gaza just because they don't know what to target, you know. And by the way, I read in the news that one of the pilots of their warplanes, uh, he just made a confession to the Israeli channel number 12, I guess, that uh, they were pumping the buildings and the towers in Gaza because they were just so angry at Gaza. They were so pissed off and they felt like, like, that's how we're going to be punishing Gaza. Like, let's evacuate hundreds of people. By yeah, the way, yeah. by the way, the UN uh, reported that about 50,000 Palestinians had to evict their homes, especially wow. those. Yeah, that's a huge number. That's Is a that huge just number. from the last two weeks? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, we're talking about 11 days. We're talking about, by the way, my sister was one of those people who had to leave their home. You know, like, thank God I didn't have to leave my home, but my sister had to evacuate. And do you know, like, how scary it is to know, like, wow, my sister is not at home and she's staying, like, with other people at the moment. Of course, the, the entire Gaza Strip is really paralyzed. Like, there is really nothing we can do about that. And those 50,000 people were running, like, they were going to places. Like, they'll be either going to their relative places or they'll be going to the UN schools. And in this case, they, they go to the UN schools at, as if the UN schools are shelters, even though they're just schools. Like I went there in 2014 and I wasn't like, these are schools. Like they have classrooms, they have desks, they have, you know, like, uh, like they're just schools. They're not built to be shelters. Like they yeah. don't qualify for people to live in there. And I remember I got in there and I saw a lot of people, they were sleeping everywhere. They were sleeping on the floor. They were sleeping on the desks. They were sleeping. And I remember I got into this one, classroom and there were like over 50 people in there it was super crowded but where are people supposed to go and usually the men would be like sleeping outside on the floor you know in the schoolyard and it would be like like children and women they'll be sleeping indoors like in the classrooms yeah 
and that's really insane. You know, I remember, uh, but I'm saying this because back then, uh, my brother had a call from one of his friends and he had to evacuate and he needed help. So basically we were helping with blankets, we were helping with canned food, we were helping with uh, clothes, stuff like that. Because when you evacuate your home, you don't have time to take anything. You know, mm-hmm. you usually evacuate because safety comes first, you know? And I remember I went there and I was holding things with my brother. And uh, when I saw all of that, I was in shock. And by the way, this is an ongoing Nakba. Like last week was the anniversary of Nakba, the Palestinian catastrophe in 1948. A lot of people were coming to us in Manat numbers, specifically to me. And they were like, please tell us a little bit about the Palestinian Nakba. And I'm like, why should I talk about the one that took place in 1948 while I can yeah. talk about the ongoing one? I mean, the one that's the happening right 20- now. Exactly. The year 2021. And as you can see, if you take a look, like how did all of this start in the first place? Huh? Talking about Sheikh al-Jarrah neighborhood in Jerusalem. This is a neighborhood for Pal- of, of Palestinians. Palestinians are living in there. The Israeli government, I mean the occupation and their government, they're trying to take all these homes and give them to settlers. Why is that? They have no excuse. They just want to take place. Uh, the Sheikh al-Jarrah neighborhood is a neighborhood that connects like uh, Palestinians to Al-Aqsa Mosque. So basically the occupation doesn't want Palestinians to have access to Al-Aqsa Mosque. And they've been attacking worshippers uh, at Al-Aqsa Mosque, even after the ceasefire, by the way. Like we had the ceasefire at 2 a.m. here. And in the very next morning, mm-hmm. they were attacking Palestinian worshippers at Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is a violation of the ceasefire. Anyways, um, so basically they started to get people out of their home. And this is an Akbar. And um, people like the Palestinians are just citizens. They live, they live under the occupation. They always get attacked. They always get shocked. They always get arrested. Just like the case in the West Bank, just like the case in the occupied lands. In Gaza, as you know, we live under this little blockade. So basically it's really soldiers can't enter Gaza unless there is an invasion. So like we don't get attacked and arrested now because we're under the blockade, but for people in the risk bank and talk about plans and just so people in Jerusalem, they were uh, like protesting and they were uh, demanding uh, that this ends and they were chanting uh, for Gaza to get involved. They were chanting in Arabic, um, Allah, ya Gaza, ya Allah, uh, which means uh, for God's sake, come on Gaza, come on. And Gaza, I mean Gaza, like it had to take action. So what Gaza did is that uh, Gaza sent warnings to the occupation that you've got to stop now. Don't mm-hmm. evacuate these people. Don't kick them out of their homes. And they were doing that like during the month of Ramadan and you know Eid as well. And they, they tried to use the month of Ramadan, which is the holy month for us Muslims. Most of Palestinians are Muslims. Uh, they would be like using that month to actually provoke us, like by attacking us while we're praying at Al-Aqsa and by like bombing us and by shouting us and by arresting us and by doing whatever it takes to just ruin it for us. Of course, the Israeli occupation didn't listen and they were like, oh, it's like none of your business, you know, but the way they act, they act actually like it's none of your goddamn business to just stay out of it. Gaza couldn't stay out of it. And that's when it all started. So Gaza took action. Uh, personally, I was so happy to see that Gaza is taking action. This is the first time that Gaza takes action for Jerusalem. Uh, I'm so happy that when Jerusalem was asking for aid, it wasn't asking for anyone else but Gaza. 
you know? Because for instance, if Jerusalem was asking the US for aid, the US wouldn't do anything about it. The UK wouldn't do anything about it. The entire European countries wouldn't do anything about it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But even if I want to talk about like Islamic countries or Arab countries, they wouldn't do anything about it. So like Gaza, the only one who actually was responsive for that aid request. And um, yes, Gaza got dragged into this attack. And this attack, as I told you, uh, I didn't tell you this, but yeah, it started out of nowhere. Personally, I was expecting it to last for like a day or two or three maximum, because usually, yes, this is how it, it goes here. Mm -hmm. Three, mm -hmm. three, four, three from two to four days and then it ends but no this time it got more vicious than ever israel warplanes are bombing like crazy and they're killing civilians children i'm talking about the children if you have seen those photos and videos of so many people especially children talking about over 60 child over here like over 60 children who were murdered you know they were literally dragged from under the rubble and a lot of them were under the rubble for hours, you know, it, it got really insane. And that's when I started to realize like, oh my God, like this is turning to vicious attack on Gaza. You know, this is not just two, three rounds, like they're gonna be bombing some military sites in Gaza and then that's it. No, they're taking down towels, they're taking down buildings, you know, they're literally striking apartments, apartments, like an apartment in a building, they would just bomb it. And people will get people will die there and they massacred entire families you know like they would kill an entire family like that's crazy like this is exactly like the 2014 war on Gaza but this one is more vicious in a in a much shorter time I mean the, the one 2014 lasted 51 days mm -hmm. can you imagine that mm -hmm. for almost two months we were under attack but this time it's like they went straight to the next level, you know, like no mercy at all, like totally inhumane and they didn't care. And what's crazier is that they've been denying all of their actions. Like they would be done like, no, we don't kill children. No, we don't kill families. But we in Gaza, as I told you, um, and I think this is the first, like this is the first time that I witnessed this for many reasons. Um, first, right now we have, we are not numbers. We Are Not Numbers was created after 2014. Yeah, give, so, uh, let, give the people a little background on what We Are Not Numbers uh, does, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, so basically, We Are Not Numbers is a project in Gaza in which we use storytelling and uh, citizen journalism to train news to, you know, narrate the Palestinian narrative because we always feel like uh, Palestinian the, the Palestinians are being attacked on so many levels. One of them is our culture and our history and our traditions. And a lot of things from our identity are being stolen. Like, like simple things, like when it comes to food, like hummus, hummus is Palestini. This occupation stole it and they're like, oh, this is Israeli hummus. No, this is Palestinian hummus. So we started to, to, to work with a lot of use. Uh, the beginning of We Are Not Numbers started um, 2015. Uh, basically, there is this guy. His name is Ahmed al -Nauq. Ahmed lost his uh, brother in 2014 around Gaza. Ahmed was talking to this American journalist. Her name is Pam Bailey. And Pam encouraged Ahmed to write the story of his brother. And she was like, 
whenever it comes to Gaza, people always talk about statistics. They talk about numbers, you know, but actually we don't know the stories of these people. Like who are these people who got killed? So Ahmed wrote his first story and he wrote the story of his brother. And then uh, we and the numbers started to, to come like into exist. Like Pam uh, started to train some Palestinian uh, young kids talking about like youth uh, students. And uh, they started to tell about, teach him about writing, teach him about storytelling. And uh, uh, we really needed that because uh, here, like as I told you, Gaza is under the blockade, and uh, we don't get to have like international trainers or teachers or whatever. And the uh, language, like the English language, isn't our first language. So basically, we have to learn it. And uh, a lot of people here don't have enough experiences to be even qualified to teach about writing and storytelling. And uh, basically, we're not numbers. Pam, like co-founded, we're not numbers, and uh, more youth are started to get involved in we're not numbers. And uh, there we are. Like it was last, uh, it was founded in uh, 2015. Right now, the year is 2021. And uh, right now, like I am the outreach coordinator for one at numbers. I'm so proud to be the outreach coordinator. Uh, during the 11 days attack on Gaza, I've coordinated over 60 interviews for use here in Gaza to take action. And as I was telling you, this is like a first, this is the first time that I feel like we use are being involved. Like we are going live. We are going like live streams on Facebook and Instagram and other platforms. We are talking to people in magazines and journals, uh, agencies, new agencies. We were doing these interviews. And uh, that was like a massive movement that I witnessed, you know? And uh, a lot of people, like we, we've been given trainings uh, for years now. And personally, I received all those transitions that qualify me to talk to you people about what is happening here. And of course, we try to amplify as many Palestinian voices as possible. Uh, as I told that, like I am, I was coordinating all of that. And to be honest, I still am coordinating that right now I still get a lot of emails people when I hear from us about what is Gaza like like after the war after the ceasefire and all of that so basically um uh, I try to engage as many as possible in so many ways written uh audible uh visual and um they were like telling different stories like if you want to talk about for instance what happened to Sheikh Al-Jarrah the story is like one story, but they were talking about their personal perspectives, which is something unique. And um, I'm so proud to say that we thought these people have to use social media. We thought those people have to use the right hashtags. So basically everyone was going with two hashtags, two main hashtags. The first one that is concerned uh, to Gaza is Gaza under attack, like that's it. And the, the other one, uh, it's related to Jerusalem, save Sheikh al-Jarrah. So basically, when the like when all Palestinians are using the same hashtags, we we changed our profile pictures to red, red for Palestine. People, especially our foreign friends on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they start to like see a lot of people are changing their profile pictures to red. So like people get curious and they'll be like, why why red? Well, what is going on? Is there like a problem here? We're like, yes, this is the point of changing all of that. So. 
we managed to attract um, like everyone's attention, especially the entire world. And um, a lot of people and when the numbers are like, they worked so hard and so great. And they were like great representatives that I'm so proud of. Uh, but in genuinely talking about, we have a community of over a hundred member and uh, everyone would be using like, for instance, their smartphones. So right now, whenever I see action, I take action. Okay, I would do my best to document those in photos and videos, and I'll be uh, <clears throat> using records like voice or sound records, and I would be like documenting everything possible so that other people will learn and see. And this is how we managed to expose this occupation. And this is how, if you saw, there was like so many protests from so many countries, so many cities around the world. And they were protesting to like free, free Palestine, free, free Palestine, and all of that. Uh, personally, like if it wasn't for Rihanna numbers, like I wouldn't have gone online in a live stream with Loki. And I wouldn't have like tens of people messaging me. And uh, especially like after how the live ended, as I told you, like uh, Burma took place, it was so close, so loud, everyone freaked out. And then because of lack of power, my phone wasn't fully charged and uh, turned off immediately. And I couldn't go back online. And a lot of people got concerned and a lot of people were asking me. And, and right now, a lot of people followed me. And a lot of people uh, like proposed, like, let's go online, let's go live. And I did that like with normal people, like especially from the UK, because Basically, that's where Loki is, but still. And um, I feel like, yes, we managed to create this uh, great organization. It is a project that uh, served this Palestinian cause in many, many ways. As I told the usual lot, we do like our main thing is writing. So those people who want to learn more about Palestine, about Gaza, what's happening in Gaza, they could simply go to wearenotnumbers.org that's we are not numbers to the herb and that they would find a lot of stories so many stories and especially during these 11 uh like days in the war on gaza we produced so many stories a lot of people wrote their personal perspectives about jerusalem about gaza and all of that published that so people would learn more um and since i'm talking about like we, we are not numbers this way um of course you can always find us on social media on facebook instagram and twitter we always post there we always try to keep people updated even though situation in gaza was really really hard like the pressure was unbelievable but yet we managed to work as a team and uh, to keep going uh if you want you can subscribe to our newsletter in which we give updates on monthly basis and uh for all people who always like ask me like right how can we help how can we help i always ask me i always tell people like yes you can always help like you can share these stories with your families with your friends and uh your social circles let people learn more like let's educate the world about what's happening here i mean these stories are written directly by palestinian news especially in Gaza, specifically in Gaza. And uh, of course you could always donate uh, to keep the project going because basically we use animal fundraising campaigns and um, this year because of COVID-19, unfortunately we didn't reach our goal, but yes, a lot of people still donate through our website, which is a great thing. Um, so basically when you take this action, when you spread the word and you teach the word, that's how the word you know, supports Palestine. And that's how the word decides like, yes, like we need to stand with human rights 
I mean, this is about our humanity. This is the human nature that we don't want other people to be killed. We don't want other people to be affected by this attack. And that's why a lot of people reach out to us and we are at numbers, which is great. They reach out to us now as the official youth voice in Gaza. And uh, a lot of people, as I told, they request speakers. From time to time, we get so many projects uh, like mental health programs, you know, because people do care. And uh, there's like one small detail that I think I must say, um, even though we are not numbers started in Gaza, but we are not numbers started to expand. And right now we have writers from the West Bank, from Jerusalem, from the occupied lands, and even from uh, Palestinians in the diaspora, specifically in the Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon. So uh, I think the mission right here is really obvious and what we do. I think a lot of people appreciate our work, which is sometimes so proud of. And uh, yeah, I always encourage people, if you have any question, uh, you can either email us or send us a message on uh, like our social media accounts and website. And yeah, we're always happy to help and uh, answer all your questions. All right. Thank you for, for telling us about that. That's so amazing. And we definitely want to support as an outlet, however we can. Um, I just have one more question to ask you, Raid. What does the future look like uh, where, where Palestinians can live dignified, long and safe lives? You know, what would that look like? Um. Okay, personally, I thought about that a lot, you know, the future, what does the future hold for us in Gaza, what does the future hold for, our, for us in Palestine. Um, well, to be honest, it's really vague, like to be honest, I feel I find it so hard to anticipate because we have like our main mission is to free Palestine, this is our main mission as a Palestinian people, okay. Uh, our dream is to go back to our Palestine, our lands, our homes. If you ever ask a Palestinian, where are the original from? They're going to tell you the name of the village or city that like our ancestors used to live in. Like personally, when people ask me, where are you from? I go like, I'm from a Palestinian village called Jibna. Okay, it is occupied now, but yeah, I am from there. I never forget about that. I will return there one day. At the same time, if you go ahead and ask an Israeli scepter, where are you originally from? They're going to be naming another country. They'll be like, oh, I'm from the US or I'm from Russia or from the UK. And they'll be like naming a lot of countries from all over the world. And this tells you one thing is that this land wasn't a land without a people. This land had a people, but this people, the Palestinian people, was itself like what we were just kicked out forcibly, you know. Um, I, I think a lot of people ask us about peace and um, do you think you can live in peace? Like as if they don't get the fact that what we actually want is to live in peace, you know. Like personally, I want to live in a country called Palestine where I actually can go to Jerusalem to pray at Al-Aqsa. I want to go to the West Bank to visit my relatives there, especially my aunt, whom, by the way, I see once every 10 years or so. Uh, uh, yeah, like even though geographically we're so close, like like by car, she's like three to four hours far away from here, but still I can never see her. And it requires like a very specific permit to, to see her and it's really hard to get. And as I told you, like like my entire life, I saw her like twice, 
this is what I remember. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm 23. So uh, I think part of us as Palestinian people, like I don't want to live under digital blockade on Gaza, you know, like I want to have the freedom of movement. Like I want to travel whenever I feel like I want to travel. The, a lot of people here miss out on their opportunities abroad because of the border, because it's closed most of the time. Um, when we talk about students who miss on their scholarships, talking about people who miss on job opportunities and uh, people who need medication who can't travel like personally i can tell you about my mother who was in gaza and she stayed here for but she was sick since 2014 and we couldn't travel for medication until last year you know like that's over 10 years that we were trying to get her out of gaza for medication but we failed because the borders are always closed so I feel like we're not asking for too much. We're asking for human rights. You know, we're just asking uh, for a fair life. Like I, I demand to have power 24 seven, you know, like I don't have to deal with power cuts. I don't have to be to deal with water cuts. You know, during war, we would get water for like two to three hours every three to four days. You know, so like whenever I have power, like I'm not sure, like, should I be working? Should I? Be talking to people educating about gas or should i be working on like our water issue and filling the water tanks with water and all of that you know um i think like every time that i talk about human rights like freedom of expression for instance um or so many other basic human rights like i want to have clean water to drink do you know that water in gaza is totally unhealthy like this is unhealthy the water i'm drinking right now it's not healthy and um, like I could go on and on and on, but the fact is, uh, I don't actually think it's going to be easy for us to have a country, basically because there's an occupation. When we talk about occupation, the word occupation means there is an oppressor. And this oppressor has been oppressing us for over 70 years. I mean, I'm telling you, last week was the uh, anniversary of, of our Palestinian Nekbet was the 73rd anniversary. And um, during which, like, they were just doing what they've been doing all that time, you know, just killing us, arresting us, shouting us, bombing us, uh, and taking our homes and all of that. So I don't think it's easy. But at the same time, I want to be optimistic about the future. And I want to think about how the entire world right now is taking action. And a lot of people are protesting, a lot of people are chanting, free, free Palestine. It gives me hope, to be honest. And I think this is a first. This is the first time in our history that we have this much um, like support and love and solidarity and all of that, you know, because, because people are finally seeing it for what it is. And I think for me, even if I were to talk to like people and explain like stories from Gaza or Risk Bank or whatever, right now it would be so much easier because so many things are documented like sometimes i feel like like i wouldn't even have to bother and talk about all of that myself because there already are like hundreds of podcasts and tv shows that people since that have participated in and you can simply just click on the hashtag goes under attack and see it all yourself like right now like i wouldn't have to go and search on google footage of gaza under attack you know like, I would simply go to any social media platform and just click on Gaza under attack. Like, if you want to see how it is like for Gaza to be under attack, take a look at these children. They're being dragged from under the rubble. Most of them are dead. 
let's let's hear some stories. You know, we are not numbers for so many stories. Personally, as I told, I was working on social media, and I wrote a lot, a, a lot of stories. Like this guy who lost his fiance, or this mother who lost her child, or this guy who had to lose his mother and, and brother at the same time. They were like praying uh, al fajr and they were like got bombed out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, they're just worshiping God. Or uh, let's talk about uh, like this entire family that was massacred. Like who survived? Like one person survived, you know, like one child. And this massacre like happened many times to many families during the past 11 days. Like, can you imagine an entire family would be erased like from history, from existence, like out of nowhere? And if you take a look at that, maybe just as, as I'm telling you, like I, I was following up with all these stories, like this family would be literally like sitting in one room for what reason? And that's really sad because if we die, we want to die together. You know, and that's the case for most of films here. And of course, like I would always be teaching the word more. Like, do you know that most of us during the war um, have our things packed, like have our IDs, have our documents, important documents and everything. The, everything's documented and everything that's really important. And if there's like money or whatever, we have them all packed in backpacks, okay? And we're putting them right next to the door so that in case, we get bombed out of nowhere, we would have to grab the bag and leave immediately. This is in Nakba. We'll talk about women when they have to sleep in their hijab so that if they get bombed, if they get bombed, they wouldn't be found like exposed. This is a part of our Islamic religion, you know? And uh, those details, yeah, they're endless. They could go on and on and on. I can tell all about that, you know? like. Even after the war, like people think, oh, there's this fire, it's over. It's not. Yeah. It's not over, actually. We still have to deal with the psychological effects, you know. First, personally, like I just tweeted last night, um, actually, this very morning, it was 3 30 a.m., and I was in my room, and uh, I, I, it's like an illusion in my head, it's like hallucinating. It's like me hallucinating that there's like a sign of performance. You know, like I know, like it stopped, I know that for a fact, but it's still in my head, and I could hear it, like I could hear it in my head. And when I actually posted that, I tweeted it on Twitter and I also posted it on Facebook, and I had other people saying, Yes, me too. And last night, also, my nephew was here, my sister was sleeping at our place, and he woke up twice last night because he was like having nightmares, you know. Personally, I feel like not only psychologically I'm being affected, but also physically. Like, because I had to be sitting for over 12 hours working on social media and working on uh, like my social, like my outreach work and coordination, all those interviews. I felt like my back is killing me. It is still kidding me right now. My back hurts so much. I'm not recovered. And during the past two days, like ever since they announced and declared that there is going to be ceasefire, I've been trying to sleep. Because yes, like right now, like during the 11 uh, day attack on Gaza, I could barely sleep. Like I would sleep in for one hour, two hours, three hours, and I could barely eat as well. Like I I'm telling you, like the first five days, you know, of the attack on Gaza, I wouldn't be able to eat. And my mother, she would come to me because she's a mother and she'd be telling me like, right, you're working so hard, you should eat something. I'm like, 
how, how how am I supposed to eat knowing that there are people out there that are being killed and they're being massacred? You know, I lost appetite and uh, I would be living on coffee and tea. Like all day long, I'd be eating, like drinking coffee and tea and I could eat like a piece of chocolate or piece of sweet and that's it. On the sixth day, I felt like I collapsed because it felt like my body couldn't just go on and on. And like ever since I said to, to go for one meal a day just to be active because I need it. Right now I'm talking to you and I'm sure you can see it in my face that I'm still tired. You know, it's really obvious right now. I'm looking at myself, I'm looking at the, the black circles right here under my eyes. I've been exposing my eyes to screens like 20 hours a day. You know, like I'm moving from my laptop when it turns off, I move to my smartphone. When it turns off, I move to my tablet because I have to be there online as much as possible because this is a part of my duty. It's a part of my job. And um, the, 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 these details, these simple details that no one ever tells you about, like they don't just go in a blind of an eye and then that's it, no. I mean, in a blink of an eye, but no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Yes, there is this fire, but do you think that one day it's going to be easy for us to be free? You know, like, yes, free Gaza, free Palestine, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be free. I know that there's going to have to be hundreds or even thousands of Palestinians who, who are going to be killed for us to have a free state. I'm not advocating for violence. I did hate violence. I already lost so many people during this 11-day attack on Gaza. I lost my teacher, my mathematics teacher, who, by the way, lives close to me. He's right here, like in my area. And I lost him, and I was so shocked. 2014, I lost my best friend. By the way, in 2014, when I lost one of my childhood best friends, his entire family was massacred, except for his one brother. You know? So... Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 that bombardment happened at 4 or 5 a.m., and uh, I, I, I was crying, and I was in tears the whole time, and, like, it still aches me, so no, I don't want to lose more people, like, I got super emotional when I was online uh, in the live stream with Loki and uh, AMP, just because I, I was saying that a lot of people ask me, right, what scares you the most? And I wouldn't say getting killed, you know? I always say losing someone that I love. And basically this thought of me, because I witnessed a many of my friends had to evacuate their homes during this attack on Gaza, you know? Some of them, they, their homes literally got bombed, you know? And they're homeless now. And I always think like, oh my God, how is it gonna be like when life is supposed to go back to normal and my friend is not there anymore? He is killed or she is killed. How, how am I supposed to cope with that? You know, but that's when um, I got emotional and felt like that was like the first time that I get emotional online and people had to see it and I don't, I don't like to, to look weak. I don't like to get to look like super emotional. But yes, this is the, the situation here. A lot of people, um, a lot of people, like I know well, when we free Palestine, I know, I know it didn't happen for a fact, but I also know it's gonna cost us a lot. I'm not sure how it's gonna happen, I don't know. But I think for, Gaza to break the blockade on it 
it's not gonna be easy. I know for us to be able to go to Jerusalem, it's not gonna be easy, you know? But still, I think, what is the point of living if we're not living freely, you know? Like right now, there is this fire, okay? Yes, I'm so happy that the moments on Gaza are stopped at the meantime. They're not stopped, they're like posed. I have to be their pose, you know, like I know at some point in the future, it could be really, really close. They're going to bomb us again. I know that for a fact, you know, but okay, we have our ceasefire, but here I am going by, going back to my life, my daily life under the blockade, you know, I, I still can travel. I still have issues with power and internet and water and all of that. Uh, most people are poor here. They're not like a lot of opportunities and the situation is getting worse and worse and worse, you know? So like, what is the point of living all of this? You know, I feel like, and this is something I'm saying for the first time is <clears throat> they make our lives so much worse during wars and attacks so that we would totally settle for a peaceful life under the blockade. Like they would make us feel like, oh, for me to have eight hours of power a day, that's awesome, you know? And that is the case to be honest. I'm not gonna lie. People in Gaza are so happy to have power eight hours for eight hours. That's like the most that we can get, you know? And we're so happy with it because we're used to getting it for six or four hours a day. And they make us feel like, oh, like you should be grateful that we're not bombing you. Like, yes, live under the blockade. Yes, live in Gaza, the biggest open air prison in the entire world. And you should be happy about it that we're not gonna bomb your home for now. We're not gonna kill you for now. We're not gonna kill your family or your friends for now. So live and be happy and shut up. This is how I feel that they make us like feel personally. So I feel like, oh, during like the normal days, like after the war, you know, like after the, the vicious attack on Gaza now, I feel like, wow, like I'm so grateful that I can sleep again, you know, because during those 11 days, I couldn't sleep at all. I feel like I totally forget about my biggest dreams, especially for me as an ambitious guy. You know, I forget about so many things. Like I forget about, oh, my dream of traveling around the world and being able to come and visit my family anytime I want. Because now, now I can sleep for like six hours a day without having to wake up to a loud bombardment near my home, you know? And uh, they make us feel like, oh, so, like even even if I were to travel and leave Brazil, like I wouldn't be able to come back and visit, you know? Like I have two sisters in Turkey and we haven't seen them in years and they can't come back to Gaza. And even if they try to do and they come back, they wouldn't be able to return to Turkey. One of them is getting her MBA and the other one is sitting down there. So like, it's gonna be too risky. Like you have no idea how many people lost their scholarships because they got stuck in Gaza. They thought they could visit their families. Personally, I got stuck in Egypt, by the way. I got stuck in Egypt for three months. Wow. You know, I, I took my mother. Wow. Yeah, for three months. I took my mother uh, there. I was accompanying her for medication. She had an operation in her head and her brain. And uh, it was really complicated. Anyways, uh, we've been trying to get her that medical transfer for 
for what? For about 14 years, you know? Like she, no, for 13 years, exactly, for 13 years. She had her earnest, uh, it's uh, something in the brain, like with the nurse, you know? Uh, it's done seven, and we failed to get her a medical transfer, even though she needed it. She had to be in pain all those years, and that affected my family so badly. And last year, we managed to get her that medical transfer finally after 13 years. And I went to Egypt and we got stuck in Egypt for three months. And I really wanted to come back to Gaza. I could have lost my job. It costed me so much money to be in Egypt to, to the point that I actually had to ask some friends, and of course not from Gaza, from like the US to help me with that. And uh, I had to, like, I, I was staying at my aunt's place in Egypt, which is also like another relative that I don't get to see at all. Like, I barely do. Like, she comes and visits us, like, like every once in a very long time. And um, I wanted to return to Gaza, but I couldn't, simply because the borders are closed, you know? And uh, what's bad is that, oh, my God, my battery is running out. Okay, what's bad is that, uh, unfortunately, um, this is always the case. So... No worries. I'm sorry, but my, my laptop is like 14%. And I know for a fact that it's going to turn off in like two minutes or so. So, oh my God. This, see, this is one of the problems that we have. You know, I don't have power right now. I'm yeah. using the lights yeah. right away. And my, my laptop, even though it is charged, but mm -hmm. there we go. So this is my life under blockade. And right now, after it turns off, where am I going to go? Just go to my regular life under the blockade no internet or laptop or nothing so right thank you so much for for giving us your perspective and for giving us your time uh i'm so grateful um i really appreciate what you're doing and uh if there's any way that i can help you know uh let me know and uh, hopefully we can have a conversation again sometime yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, one last thing I want to say, because I always say this at the, be the end of every time that I go talk to someone, I invite all people to follow the BDS movement. You have to boycott Israeli products, please, because a part of that is the Israeli army, and they use their money to kill us. So please, BDS, BDS movement. Uh, please, everyone, boycott Israeli products, and people in the US, please take action, because your taxes pay like 3.8 billion dollars from it yes. goes to israel so please take action and personally i would like to thank you so much for having me with you i'm gonna have to actually email you again because uh i'm really like into podcasting and i would love to take uh advice from you so that would be really great uh thank you thank you so much and right now my laptop is gonna turn off any second so it's in this probably thank you guys so much i'm sending you all love and support from gaza from palestine free free palestine thank you yes much love raid have a good one thanks again thank you zach talk to you soon bye bye, bye. Zach Boschman here, co-owner of CitizenTruth.org. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Citizen Truth Podcast. 
The intro and outro song is Enthusiast by Tours and is provided via the Creative Commons license. Please subscribe and check us out at citizentruth.org.